Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 211. Today on our show, documentary filmmaker Eric Waltner discusses his film about the Cincinnati Mohawks hockey team of the 1950s. They were so incredibly dominant at their level and in their league, and nobody knows about them. And you could do a survey at a Cyclones game and 100 people, and maybe 10 would have ever heard of them, and maybe three could have tell you anything about them. Documentary filmmaker is just one of the hats Eric wears, by the way, but it's the one he's most keen about. We discuss the Mohawks in this episode, uh, putting the documentary together, minor league and pro hockey in Cincinnati, as well as surrounding cities like Cleveland, Columbus, Detroit, St. Louis, and Pittsburgh. I'd also like to welcome the folks who found their way to this episode via our sibling site, Old School Shirts. I decided to post this on that site as well because I believe it is applicable. Now, if you've been liking the podcast, you can help support it via PayPal or Venmo. Simply uh, use podcast at cincyshirts.com. We're going to try and get more of these out in 2023. It's been kind of a hectic year already, as you can imagine, sort of, with the uh, Bengals postseason run. We're doing a lot of changes going on at Cincy Shirts as far as making a more efficient operation, and that's taken up a lot of our time. But like I said, hopefully we'll be getting these out more often than not. Now, as always, be sure to listen for that special promo code for 20% off near the end of the episode as chosen by our guest. But in the meantime, let's talk to Eric Waltner about the Cincinnati Mohawks and his documentary about that team. Cincinnati, oh, Cincinnati, she came down, Cincinnati, just maybe think of me once in a while, I'm at cincyshirts.com in Cincinnati. So the first thing we usually ask on these things, or one of the one of the first things we ask is, did you grow up in the area? I did not. I grew up in a suburb of Columbus, Ohio. Okay. We have lots of Columbus vintage and, hockey uh, shirts. I once attended Gahan Lincoln High School, so that's sort of, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. a lot of stuff up there. So um, that's my hometown, but I lived all over and moved here, actually, from Detroit. Okay, so were you a hockey fan growing up, I take it? Yes, I was a hockey fan and player as a boy, and then went on and coached a little bit, and have just always enjoyed Watching it and playing it and following it at all levels. And actually, I'm in research society now based in Ontario called the Society for International Hockey Research. So there are people from all over the world who contribute research ideas and statistics and papers and presentations and video and all kinds of stuff. It's uh, really quite interesting. Neat. So growing up, who was your team locally? Well, since we did not have an NHL team, I was also... uh, kind of entranced by the Broad Street Bullies, the the, the Philadelphia Flyers, because first of all, that was fun to watch. Yeah. And second of all, they were always the ones on TV. And then I pretty much gravitated toward player-wise, I really loved Guy Lafleur. Uh, oh, yeah. Number 10 yeah. For, the, for the Canadians, yeah. My uncle was he a was, big... Uh, he was so smooth. My uncle was a big Canadians fan because um, he's French. Oh, yeah. So that was the closest. Oh. Yeah, so my mom and yeah. my uncle are French, and he, yeah, that was the closest he... Could come, I guess, and he became a hockey fan when he moved here, so he's obviously 
rooted for Montreal. Who who did you root for in Columbus? Did you follow any of the minor league teams that were there growing up? Yeah, I I came along as a fan right around when the Columbus Owls were there. Okay, and yeah. uh, had a big time with them. There were some really great uh, players and and fun personalities that really made that place come alive. And so you moved to Detroit, but you didn't become a Red Wings fan. I did not. No, I actually um, once I kind of got my got my sea legs and really understood the game. I became more of a St. Louis Blues fan, and Me? I lived there. Oh my god! In the early nineties, and I got yeah, 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 yeah Blues yeah. fan. Yes, are you? Because this right. is this is a crazy story a- for you. Uh, real quick, I'll bore the listeners with. But growing up, um, my team was the <laughs> Cleveland Crusaders of the World Hockey Association. Right. Yeah. So we lost the Crusaders. Um, there's a great book on this, by the way, kids. I'll, um, on the back end, when we do the outro and stuff, I'll tell you what book it is. It's a book about the Cleveland Barons, but there's a lot about the Crusaders in it, and it mentions the Stingers and everything. But uh, So we lost the Crusaders awesome. as a contingency of getting the Barons, and I like the Barons okay, but they weren't the Crusaders. And then we lost the Barons. So I had no hockey team. Uh, my dad had moved to Pittsburgh, and I had some buddies down there, and uh, they were big Penguins fans. But I was in search of a hockey team. I used to listen to Crusaders on the radio. So I'm flipping around the dial one night, stumble on Dan Kelly calling the St. Louis Blues. I'm hooked. I'm in. I'm all in. And weirdly, the Pittsburgh Penguins have a great guy, uh, Michael. I can't remember what his name was. Um, I'll remember it. See, he's also a great player, but he was at the station in Pittsburgh. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was always had the guy with the funny catchphrases. Michael, yeah. Michael, motorcycle. Scratch yeah. my back. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I forget his last name. Yeah. I will remember as we're going along here, or I'll tell you guys on the other side. But anyway, so he was he was great too, but he was on a small station, and you couldn't hear it outside of Pittsburgh. Whereas KMOX, you could hear all over the country. So had they been on a bigger station, I would have been rooting for a better hockey team. I would have had I would have what four Stanley Cups now instead of just the one. But, right. Dan, but yeah. Dan Kelly, yeah, Dan <laughs> Kelly, uh, you know, wrote Mike Lang. Mike Lang is who we're thinking of. I had a Mike Lang, Mike Lang. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but yeah, it began with um, blues fan I, and um, and yeah, been ever since. And really interesting because I got affiliated with the blues that way myself as a boy. I could get KMOX and I would listen to it in my bedroom doing homework and stuff. Yeah. And that was back in the. Bernie Federico days yes. and all that. Oh my God! And I liked them all right then, but I, 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 they really weren't on TV a lot. So no, well, I was. It was more like you know Philadelphia and all that when you'd have that NBC game of the week or whatever. Right. And then um, I started to like the Blues, and then when I lived there, it was outstanding because it was Brett Hull, Adam Oates, oh, yeah, Brendan yeah. Shanahan, yes. Curtis Joseph, the yep. Sutter twins. Yep. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was pretty excellent, and that good old barn there in uh, the Central West End yeah. was was a great place to watch a game. Never been to a home game. Saw him play twice in Pittsburgh uh, in the old Civic Arena against the Pens. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you know uh, All right. a comedian that uh, lives around here? His name is Gabe Kia. I can't say I do, he's, uh, he's from St. Louis, and his father was Ed Kia of the— of the St. Louis. Is that right? I did not figure that out until I was talking to him one day. I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> your parents moved here because they, your dad's a hockey player. I did not put that together. Yeah. yeah he's a, he's in, How cool he, is that? Yeah, he invited me over to his place to watch the finals oh. um, uh, in, when, yeah, in 2019, but I was already, like, I already had, already had plans, That's but uh, yeah, it would have been great to watch it with uh, with fellow Blues fans, but um, I still can't believe they won. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> After all these years. Me either. Oh, I know. Man. All right. So when did you, when did you come to <laughs> it Cincinnati? It was a long... Yeah, it was a, was a wrong, long road. Uh, when did you come to Cincinnati? Came in the spring of 1999. Okay. I'm down here for 
an advertising job. Aha. Uh-huh. With, with who, if you don't mind me asking? It was an agency that went by the name of Northlick Stolly Lawari at the time. Yeah, and yeah. I worked it became for... Northlick, and uh, then it became out of business. So okay, yeah. yeah, I worked for Bear. Oh, right on. Yeah. So, yeah, our paths have probably crossed multiple times. Probably, yeah. Unbeknownst yeah. to us. I was yeah. only there for a couple of years, and then I got out of the biz, as they say. Sort of. I still freelance, mm. but yeah. Wise man. Yeah. Wise a, man. Uh, my buddy is still in it, sort of. He's a, He also freelances, but he's, uh, yeah, he's always writing me time how disenchanted he is with the, with the but he still keeps doing it. So, so anyway, how did you <laughs> that get... That never happens in advertising. No, not at all. Well, it's, um, I, I know a, another guy who was like, he's like, almost like a madman, uh, but a little later of the era, and he was our boss separately. My buddy re- ended up replacing me, I didn't realize until after I had left, they showed me the door, and then they replaced me with my buddy, and then they showed him the door. But anyway, uh, our friend who was our boss, uh, I guess they finally gave him the boot too, but this guy was obsessed with advertising, and yeah. uh, he's, at, now he's making uh, furniture out of old car seats and stuff like that, so I think he's got... If he got disenchanted with the business, holy cow. Oh, I know who you're... Yeah, you he know... too is my friend. Yes, I know yeah. who you're talking about. Oh, yeah, he, he knows everybody. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, yeah right. we used to work together, so, yep. Yep, yeah, yeah, great guy, great guy. Um, Good dude. Good dude, indeed. So, uh, how did you get interested in filmmaking? Well, being uh, in, in advertising, you are around a lot of audio and video production and all of that. And so um, I, I initially got started into sort of backtrack a little bit. Uh, those teams in Columbus, I really loved, especially the owls that I said I, I watched. And um, now that the uh, Blue Jackets are there in Columbus, it's an NHL team, yep. at least by name, not by competitive, uh, <laughs> right. competitive play level. Um and, and so these teams from the 70s, they didn't have a whole lot of success, but they were fun. And they seemed to just sort of being vaporized into the into the cosmos and really forgotten and left behind. And they were very meaningful to me. So you had the chill then in the 90s, and they got a lot of the props and the, the um, promotion for all of their fun antics and, and all of that and are given some credit as far as the Columbus market landing an NHL franchise. So I thought, well, these guys need to also be celebrated because they were the first pros here. And there were some really good players who came through and some played in the NHL and also really blazed the trail and started to somewhat grow the game in central Ohio, uh, as far as youth programs and, and things like that. So that was what I set out to do originally, like in 2011, I think. And so, I made a film about those three teams, the Columbus Checkers, Golden Seals, and Owls, and that came out in January of 2020. So it was my interest of hockey and my interest in movies and my interest in production all led to like a confluence of me making these films. So it's just something I, I enjoy in all facets. So wait, where can we find the, the film about the, uh, about the Columbus hockey teams? Is that available somewhere? Uh, that conveniently is available on Vimeo on okay. demand. Oh, nice. And it is called Inter- yeah, International Incidents, uh-huh. and it is an 80-minute film, and you can rent it for four ninety nine or buy it for $9.99. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check that out. What was your next film, then? This one. Oh, yeah. Okay. This one coming up, The Mohawk Monopoly. All right. So are you specializing in hockey docs, or is that? It seems to be right now. 
it's where my interests lie and where the stories I've uncovered seem to fall, uh, since it seems to be a bit of an underserved sport here in this part of the country. I thought that I would take up that cause and uh, pursue it. So how long did it take you to make the Mohawks document? Or how long did it take you to make the first one, actually? That would probably be a better place. Well, the first one, all told, it was about nine years. But that wow. was a lot of things, you know, still working for agencies or whatever and freelancing. And then my parents got aged and ill and I had to take some time off and also burnout. And the other thing was I spent so many hours at the library going through microfilm that had to be ordered through the interlibrary loan system oh, and geez. going on those old microfilm machines. Oh, oh my gosh, BF, I can't even tell you how painful it was. And uh, so now everything's online. Now yeah. all the major newspapers are online, which has made this one far easier. But yeah, it, you know, it was all done in my, my spare time. So uh, it was probably nine years in total. But now that I sort of know what I'm doing, this one has been sped up. And also the online presence of research tools has been very helpful. So why did you pick the Mohawks? It's interesting because right now I'm wearing my Cincinnati Stingers pullover sweatshirt. And uh, I've always toyed with the notion of doing a book or something about the Stingers. Somebody already, like I said, the guy beat me to the punch on the uh, the Barons book has a lot about the Crusaders. So it would kind of be superfluous to write a book about the Crusaders. But the Stingers have a great story. But why did you settle on the Mohawks? Stingers would be a great subject because there were some really incredible players who came through for that sweater. Mike Liute, uh, later a St. Louis Blue. Absolutely. Mike Liute, uh, Mark Messier, Rick yep. Dudley, Robbie Fatorik. Yeah. Um, Barry Melrose of, of That's of right. I always forget gray, that. Yeah, greasy yeah. mullet fame. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. USA <laughs> Network good, Hockey. Yes. Um, so the reason I settled on the Mohawks was because they were so incredibly dominant at their level and in their league, and nobody knows about them. And to quote the dude in The Big Lebowski, this aggression will not stand. Uh, huh. Because I just thought it was so wrong that these guys set all of these league records, and you could do a survey at a Cyclones game tonight, and 100 people, and maybe 10 would have ever heard of them. And maybe three could have tell you anything about them, would be my guess. Yeah, I think us having the shirts has helped a little bit. We had um, some guys on the podcast. They were brought to us as former Cincinnati Mohawks. And as we were doing the interview, mm-hmm. it was we it was revealed that they were not, in fact, Cincinnati Mohawks. They were junior Mohawks. And we were a little oh. disappointed at first. But as it turned out, they were still close to the organization even though they played on the junior circuit, and one of the guys ended up working yeah, for every um, hockey team that subsequently up uh, up through the Cyclones. So you had all kinds of great stories about the Wings and the Stingers and mm. and people like that. So it worked out, even though at first they were, we, I think we were misled a little bit at first, but they were great guys and had great yeah. stories. Yeah, there is a difference. There, there is, is yeah, difference. yeah, yeah. To what, so people who don't know, or people who haven't really looked at our shirts and stuff like that, uh, the team started as the Washington Lions actually way back in 1941. Or in the American Hockey League. What point do you start the documentary? My concentration is on their six seasons in the International Hockey League when they were an affiliate with the Canadiens. Um, However, we do touch on their three years as the AHL Cincinnati Mohawks, wherein they were with the Canadiens and the New York Rangers, which is also pretty interesting when you consider King Clancy, Hall of Famer, was their... um, coach and Frank Selke, Hall of Famer, was their general manager 
And they had guys on there like um, Emile the Cat Francis and stuff who went on to big things of his own is also landed in the Hall of Fame. So they're all they're all right. They were middling at that level. But my interest was really in the International Hockey League because that's where their true domination took place. So, that, yeah, they moved here like in 50 or 51 and spent three years in the American Hockey League. Why did they decide to jump to the International Hockey League? It was somewhat financial, but they also, the it was a local ownership, and their dual affiliation, at least for two of the three years, made it hard for them to keep a roster. They accused the parent clubs of being roster raiders and took all their players, so they thought, well, we can't be as competitive as we'd like to be, and that led to them being not as successful at the box office. So they said with that, along with a lot greater travel costs, they thought that they would get into a more geographically friendly league. And so they went into the International Hockey League, where it was a little bit more condensed in the upper Midwest. Were they able to keep a lot of the same players from the American Hockey League, or did the parent club try to grab them and move them to new farm teams? Uh, Most of them moved on. One guy who had played for them, Buddy O'Connor, who played late in the AHL years, stayed on here uh, or stayed on with the international team to be the head coach. He also is a Hall of Famer as a player. And then pretty much the whole roster was comprised of 19 and 20-year-old junior hockey graduates that the Montreal Canadiens had under, under rights ownership because there was really no free agency or anything back then. And then they all sent them, they sent all of them here because the Canadians were building that 1950s dynasty with all those Hall of Fame dudes who played on that uh, 10-year run. And so that kind of uh, rubbed off on the Mohawks. It did. A lot of it was because these guys were so good, had the NHL been more than six teams and had (laughs) the Canadians not been as dominant, these guys all would have been, not all, half probably would have been in the National Hockey League. But you got to remember the guys that they were competing for jobs against. Boom Boom Jeffreyon, Rocket Richard, Elmer Locke. Let's see who else they have. Uh, Jean Beliveau. I mean, these guys are the legends of the game. And so these 19-year-old dudes had nowhere to go. Good luck taking those jobs. Yeah, that and the National Hockey League probably was the smallest of the four major sports leagues at the time. Didn't expand until the late 60s, so yeah, if you, you, a lot of people ended up being career minor leaguers. Indeed, the Cleveland Barons dominated the AHL for years, and there's a lot of debate about whether the Barons decided to not go to the NHL because the owner was greedy and wanted to, you know, dominate the AHL, or as yeah. I guess as it turned out, though, he was offered it, he turned it down. They came, and then he came back to them, and they said, "Forget it. You you blew it." Well, it was it was a difficult way to make a living back then whether a player or an owner you know the there, there's a lot of that original six stuff where there there was a lot of collusion and conspiracy with the ownerships to to keep all the money to themselves and the players getting none and so to try to be a new kid on the block as an owner was going to be very difficult financially indeed yeah as is always the case with expansion teams although lately it's weird the, the expansion teams they've had lately have done well i guess the kraken are in their second season are doing uh doing real well that's that's what a billion dollar franchise fee will get you though that is true but if you know you figure you spent all the money on the franchise fee that was the other problem that a lot of teams had particularly in the uh, wha 
you know, they'd spend all their money on the franchise fee, and then they would have no money left to go to pay these players that they signed to like futures contracts and stuff. And uh, yeah, and that would be their their demise. Yeah, they did. They they tried to win with money, and they just weren't quite as heavily financed. But I loved the WHA as an aside. Oh I found yeah, it very fun and entertaining. <clears throat> yeah, I was I was probably what second. Let me see, seventy six. There's some probably second, third grade around that point. So I don't mm-hmm. really understand the fact that there's an NHL and a WHA. I kind of gradually, I think, put two and two together, and realized late in the Crusaders' existence that oh, the NHL was the big and uh, established league. And the World Hockey Association just kind of came along, and that's kind of how. And and by of course by that time it was it was too late, and I just could not warm uh, to the Barons. But I remember listening to the Crusaders on my little transistor radio uh, under my pillow until mm, my mom cool. would come into my room and take it away and say, "You have to go to sleep now." <laughs> yeah, <the WHA. laughs> All right, now I will read my comic book. Yeah, exactly. Um, so. The Mohawks dominate right out of the gate in the International Hockey League. I can't remember. Were they as successful in the AHL? I guess they, they were okay in the AHL. But it's not until the, they start... No, to... they were just they were mid-link to, to, to below 500. Yeah. yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. So why are they suddenly so dominant in the IHL? Is it the brand of hockey that the IHL is playing? Are they that much better than the other teams that are playing? Or is it this connection to the Canadians or is it kind of a combination of all that? It was a lot of things. One was, uh, honestly, the international league was a step down probably in competition from the American league. Um, so that was still truly the, the, the top development league. And then you also had the Quebec league, which had a lot of really good teams, but um, these guys were all young and still developing. You've got to figure that most of them were 19 years old. And with, the way the NHL was set up, the, all the teams, but the Canadians in particular, were uh, beneficiaries of their rule where they had this regional bias. They just got they they had dibs over all the players in that region, and so they would. If you want to play in the NHL, you're going to sign with us, and then their ownership rights were owned by the Canadians club, and so then they would just get assigned here to Cincinnati for the international league team and it just so happened that they were the best of the best who were uh kind of i don't want to say left over but they were just mired in this log jam of talent As I said, and so they, they came here the canadians cup runneth over as it were literally. and it was at times really not competitive it did indeed yeah uh six cups in 10 years and i think they lost a couple along the way and that decade of dominance so it was interesting because the the mohawks came into the league and they literally kicked down the door and it was not unusual for them to hang double digits on teams and they defeated the two-time defending champion toledo very handily and they were also the first ones to win the regular season championship and the turner cup playoff championship in the same year and then they did that five consecutive seasons did this upset the International Hockey League and the teams therein? Oh boy, did it! They put a real bee in their bonnet. <laughs> um, we cover that. We cover that in the movie because some of the most interesting stuff is the war of words between some of the teams, especially Cincinnati and Toledo. And being a Cyclones fan still to this day, there is still a lot of acrimony between Toledo and Cincinnati fans. It's really, it's really pretty entertaining. 
but yeah, the exact, the executives were blasting each other and playing each other through the media and, uh, all kinds of histrionics. Yeah. So folks who are not familiar, the international hockey league, which would last for years up until the year 2000 at the time was playing, well, the AHL was in places like Buffalo, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, where the International League was in places like Fort Wayne, Toledo, Kalamazoo, I believe, has had a team for a long time, uh, had a team for a long time. Mm-hmm. So it's in the, these smaller markets, and of course, the big city Cincinnati rolls in and uh, is just squashing these teams. Didn't other teams have affiliations with other teams in the in the NHL, or did they the other NHL teams mostly concentrating on their partnerships with the AHL and maybe the Western League? It was a lot of the AHL and Quebec League and and we think even into the Western League. But yeah, some of the teams did have some affiliations. It's just that um, Montreal took it so seriously. You know, they had uh, they had a guy who was also a, um, a Hall of Fame player, Ken Reardon, working as their general manager. And Frank Selke, who I'd mentioned previously, also overseeing the team. So, uh, you know, they had Hall of Fame players and scouts putting this team together. And they just had talent from the executive level on down to the the player level, obviously. And it was just, they just did it in aces and the other teams were just uh, struggling and, and not, did not match up as well. So I remember the, um, the junior Mohawks guys telling us that Dan, despite all the success that they didn't draw super well, was that the case all the way through where people come in and they played at the Cincinnati garden for those who not in the know, mm-hmm. uh, was, what was attendance like? Did, did people like this dominant hockey team or would they still have, did they still have trouble putting butts in the seats? It's kind of interesting because there were, uh, they, it was a, it was a tale of two cities, so to speak, because there were years where they did well. And in fact, a couple of times they set league attendance records for single, for single games, like, uh, you know, 10 or 11,000 people. But then I've always heard everybody loves a winner. Well, it almost seemed like the site, uh, the, the Mohawks dominance became commonplace and it was sort of becoming uncompetitive. It wasn't unusual for them to win 11 to one, 12 to two. Now, they beat one team 17 to six or another time beat another team 16 to zero. So that's like men's beer league scores. <laughs> and I, I just think that it became sort of, I don't know, maybe not as interesting. And then you also have to remember you had Xavier basketball and UC basketball, which was good. And then the Royals came along for, I think they shared a, week, a year or two yeah, um, so. in the NBA. So there was a lot of competition for the, the dollars. The, the entertainment dollar. That's true. Xavier was a, a big basketball power even back then. Um, so what finally happens to, I mean, uh, well, the thing you're describing, I was, uh, reminded me that that's kind of what happened with the Cleveland Browns and the All-America Football Conference and probably led to the demise of that league was the Browns just dominated it so much. That even people in Cleveland, mm-hmm. the last season of the AAFC, they're only drawn 30,000 people where they were drawing 80 when the team started because people were bored. And boy, wouldn't Cleveland fans uh, kill for some domination like that now. Oh my God, right? <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. what finally happens then with, when do they finally decide that, you know, this, that this isn't working out and they, they leave, out, they, they leave on top their last season in Cincinnati, aren't they? Or is it, don't they have one bad season and then they fold? I can't remember the, uh, they won. This is so they started in the 52, 53 season 
and finished in the spring of 1958 was the last time they played. So of the first five seasons, they won the regular season championship and the Turner Cup championship. So in 1957-58, when um, a local man who still lives here, Billy Gould, he was a player coach. They won the IHL League championship for the regular season and then ended up losing for the first time in the playoffs to the Louisville Rebels. Uh, so that was of the 13 championships they played for, because they also played for this national championship in 53. Um, of the 13 titles they played for in their history in the International Hockey League, they won 12. Wow. Yeah. And, and so why do they finally decide? Did they fold or did they move, actually? I don't remember. They went on a one-year self-imposed suspension because they were losing money. And so they thought that they, they could get their fiscal act in order and then they just decided not to return and just sort of faded into the into the night it was kind of it was very odd and unceremonious hmm and then uh, the city is without hockey until the mid 60s mid 60s but only for like eight months uh did they get a hockey team back yeah was that that was the indianapolis right yes thing where their the coliseum burned during the ice capades yeah, it blew up. There was an explosion, a gas explosion, and it, it or whatever. destroyed killed the arena. People, it did kill, but people died, I believe. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. remember. But and yeah, then they came, like the Indianapolis Capitals or something like that. Yeah, and then they came down and did be the Cincinnati Wings for affiliated the Wings, yes, the Detroit Red Wings for one year, and then it, it's strange because Cincinnati is such a hockey town now, even though you know we're only we have like a what's I guess considered a double A hockey team, but. Mm-hmm. And then, and we've discussed this before on the podcast, and I have a blog post about it on the Shirts blog. Is that in the '90s and early 2000s, this is a two-team town, both teams drawing around you know four or five thousand fans a game each, playing yeah. in the same city, yeah, which is nuts, and still not able to get an NHL expansion franchise, which is crazy. Yeah, I think Cincinnati at this point, and even back then, is kind of the victim of geography. It seems, and then when Columbus got it, it was all over. Well, yeah, that was that was uh, it was a done deal, and that was what. They, when did they join? They it was awarded in the late nineties, and they they took the ice in like two thousand two thousand one, something like that. The Blue Jackets. The blue, yes, correct. Okay. Yeah, they started in two thousand, yeah. and I think it also killed yeah. Cleveland's chances of ever coming back uh, to the yeah. Blues. Yeah, that's a. Uh, both both those stories are fascinating if you're a, a hockey fan and like hockey history. Both the story of the Crusaders slash the Barons and then the Stingers here and not getting into the NHL at first and then going to the WHA and then not getting into the NHL again. Uh, a sad and, and crazy, crazy tale. Uh, and then Columbus just sneaks in and <laughs> lands the NHL team. Yeah, but yeah. Well, I think the, the Columbus experiment was kind of interesting because they were... They had it gift wrapped. A team, uh, the Hartford Whalers, were gift wrapped from Mr. Carmanos back in the mid '90s, um, and he said, "All you need to do is build an arena, and you have a team." Oh, I didn't know and that. And the arena, yeah, the arena levy then didn't pass. So then he was like, "All right, I got to go somewhere else." And that's how the Hurricanes ended up becoming the team in the NHL. That's where Carmanos took that ownership and then columbus had a big uh, steel magnate a man who owns worthington industries mr mcconnell john mcconnell said okay we need we we blew our chance and if we're going to be a major league city 
we got to do something. So I will buy the team if somebody builds an arena. Yeah, I thought that they so they finally probably... were able to get enough um, public and private resources together to yeah. yeah to build the arena. And then he sure enough he bought the team and put them in there. And it's a great, it's a a very good organization. I mean, they they don't skimp on anything financially. It's just that can't have any success in play. They really haven't. No, and all my buddies in Pittsburgh think I'm a what they, who who don't remember. Uh, they think I'm a Blue Jackets fan now because of the proximity. I'm like, no, I ain't, I ain't mad at them. I mean, if they were to make a playoff run, I'd, I'd be right behind them. But oh, it's, you know, it's honestly, not. it's kind of a ship of fools. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, having well, being from there and having rooted for the Blues for so long, do you still do you could your legion switch at all to Columbus or are they just like a secondary team? Like you wish them well, but it's not not the same as the Blues winning this. Like if Cleveland got a team. All of a sudden, if some team moved to Cleveland, I'd be like, it would be really hard to root for them because, you know, I've been a Blues fan for so long. I, I don't think it would take. It is really weird because, you know, I did grow up in, in Columbus and as a little boy, my dream was to have, have a team, right? Yeah. And then I happened to live in two NHL markets, one being uh, St. Louis and one being Detroit, where I got to witness them win back-to-back Stanley Cups, which was pretty fun. But then I, I, I tried to will it for years for the Blue Jackets because, like, all right, this is my childhood dream come true. Yeah. But then they've just proven to be so um, feckless <laughs> that they be, that, that not only are they not successful, just kind of hard to like um, with some of their managerial maneuvers and the, the the way they carry themselves as a franchise they they act like they invented the game <laughs> and you know <laughs> this just in they didn't yeah um so i i remain more of a blues fan i guess i would really like to see that the city have success because i still have a lot of friends there i enjoy going to the games the facility is beautiful and you know it, that place will explode if they're ever any good it, it will be a remarkable experience, but they just need to get something in order. And I think it starts at the top with the general manager. It's a nice arena to be sure. I never saw a hockey. It's really game. nice. I saw a concert there. Took, took my oldest to see the Wiggles back in 2001. It was right oh, after the arena. There you go. Right after the arena was built. And yeah. I noticed, I don't know if they still have this there, but they have uh, an area that has not only the hockey history of Columbus, it's a little mini museum. They also have some memorabilia from both Cincinnati and Cleveland uh, hockey teams. So yeah. That's kind of neat. I think they do still have that. Yeah. I think they do still have that. So, and uh, they did a great job with the, the NHL All-Star game, whatever that was, seven or eight years ago. They did a really good job with that. That was a blast. It was fun. I went for that whole weekend. Yeah, it's a really nice area they've got down there. They got the soccer stadium now down there. They got the the baseball park. Oh yeah, and uh, there's mm-hmm. a, a con- two concert venues, a little one, and then the the big one next right next door to it. And so yeah, it's a they they got it going on there in Columbus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's quite nice. They did a good job. Yeah, not bad for an old uh, penitentiary yard. Yeah, they still have that. Although that gate, I think, is that's down there actually came from somewhere else, and they moved it to that one little park that's between the two. Office park. Yeah, yeah. I think that was from the train station. Yeah, but we digress on Columbus. We'll do a separate episode on, <laughs> yes. on, on Columbus one sometime. So what? Um. So what's next for you as far as you know, making documentaries? Do you have your eye on doing anything? Another hockey documentary, perhaps, or do you switch gears and nothing yet? I yeah, I got to finish this one first. So which would be a good idea to do since we premiere it in eight days. Oh, so, okay. So we're um, coming down to the wire. <laughs> we're, we're yeah. 
yeah, but isn't that like everything you worked in advertising? It's uh, oh my god! I'm sure people were sweating as of Saturday night last weekend to get their uh, spot done for the Super Bowl. So, oh yeah, and that's good. Um, it's going out the door, and what they promise every time that we're gonna have to stop doing this thing, or we're working on it. What's going out the door? It's like, yeah, you're not gonna stop doing that. <laughs> and I'm sure people, yeah, uh huh, people yeah. work anywhere. Keep telling yourself that. that. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. what, so what do you do these days apart from doing documentary films? I mean, is this is this your full time gig? If you or do you are you still in advertising? I've walked away from advertising for the most part, but I do some. I'm still helping out some people who have forged close relationships with. You know, do some concepts and creative direction and that, and some voiceover. So, uh, yeah, I stay in it, but um, I, I really do enjoy the filmmaking, just from the standpoint of having a love of history and also creating something, something large from, you know, nothingness. When you start with nothing and you end up making a 70 or 80 minute film with all the, the parts and, and moving pieces, it's a, it's a pretty rewarding experience. So how long has this one taken you? Like when did you start working? This on one, it? I, this one's been a lot better as far as time, probably about two and a half years. Okay. Wow. It's a long time. It is a long time, but you know, what's, what's interesting is when you do see this, hopefully everybody will come on February 25th, 26th at the historic Woodward theater and over the Rhine, you, you see it, but you look at it and you go, okay, literally like five people did this. Five people made this thing. So that's a cool when you figure all the research, reading, writing of the script, uh, and then doing all the the editorial and motion graphics and then the sound design and um, re-recording and that's it you you see any other movies and there's a lot of credits that go into all the production and this is literally four or five people uh well that's the times you live in i guess it's a little easier in some ways with you know the, the digital and all oh it that. sure is yeah, yeah. Um, and we'll certainly do our best to promote as soon as i get this edited usually we drop episodes on wednesdays but we haven't done them these steadily for a while so i'm just going to drop this as soon as i have the audio edited so maybe uh, at the Great. weekend, as the as our British friends say, and I'll let you know. Do you have like a a, a poster we can grab from you when I drop off the postcards? Maybe we can stick in our stores. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, we have that. Also, we have a Facebook page for the film. Okay, with, uh, cool. All the details and everything. It's just you look on Facebook. It's called the Mohawk Monopoly, and um, like I said, it's uh, premiering next weekend, February twenty fifth and twenty sixth. We're gonna have a social hour from eleven thirty a.m. to film run at 1 30 p.m on saturday we're gonna have former players in the house oh uh, nice three former mohawks yeah billy gould brian mcleigh and glenn ramsey and then we're also gonna have an opposing player who is in the record books within the ihl mr eddie long who they call in fort wayne mr comet uh, yeah, um, and the then also Comet, on saturday yeah. for the happy hour we're we're having uh from detroit um, superstar DJ Mr. Keith McLennan. So you'll be setting the vibe on wow. Saturday. Sounds like a... And maybe Sunday if I can talk him into another day. There you go. Yeah, so it's going to be a, a, a great time. So yeah, we'll definitely do everything on our end to help promote it. Like I said, uh, maybe there'll be a, a Cincy Shirts giveaway involved somewhere along the way at both showings. Well, we can certainly that would be fantastic, I'm sure. Help with that. Um, we have some, uh, an old score. I'm sure your legions of fans would appreciate that. I know I'm a fan, so... Yeah, we, um, good stuff. We have the old scoreboard from the gardens in uh, our store, <gasps> although I think they took it down. Do you really? Yeah, and it, <sighs> but is it from when the Ducks were there? When the arena closed, Josh and Darren went down there and bought a bunch of stuff, including I think we have a Mohawks banner 
still. Oh, wow. I'm pretty sure we have um, that. Some, but I think those have been taken down gosh. because they remodeled. For folks who yeah. are familiar with our Hyde Park store, the one side of the shop is now where we print shirts, and the back of the store, we're also going to start adding more printing space. But that we used to have the scoreboard up. Emilio Estevez tried to buy it because it had the Ducks thing on it, and Josh and nice. I said, not for yeah. sale. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. And, but I'm almost yeah. positive we have a Mohawks banner with um, oh, the, you do, the uh, Turner Cups. Yeah. If you do and you have any inclination to attend the movie on Saturday or Sunday, bring it by because we're going to have a memorabilia, a memorabilia display there okay. and uh, our posters and all that kind of stuff. It might so. be hanging in the print room over at Hyde Park now that I think about it. I'll have to ask Alex, our, our manager over there. Oh, that's cool. The very fine Alex Dunaway. But the last order of business we have when we do these episodes is that we uh, we do offer a coupon code to the listener, so people listening right now can save some money on any shirt at Cincy Shirts or Old School, our sibling site, if you're into vintage hockey. And we have a vintage other stuff, too, but we're talking about hockey. So uh, you, Eric, get to choose the uh, coupon code. It can be a word or phrase. Uh, the, and then people will use that code uh, for the next week that the podcast is up to go ahead and go to our site or even go into the store and say the code and get 20% off their entire order. What would you like that code to be? In keeping with the uh, title of the film, let's go with Monopoly. Perfect. There you go. All right. And then I will send you uh, a gift code you can use to uh, either go to Cincy Shirts or go to Old School Shirts. Well, actually, I'll send you one of each because you can go to Cincy Shirts, get yourself a Mohawk shirt. So I'm not sure you have one. You'll need one. And then you can also go uh, to Old School Shirts and get yourself a Columbus Owl shirt. Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah, awesome. We have everybody but the chill. And uh, we have an agreement with that guy. Uh, he, the g- former general manager, still owns the trademark, and we finally mm-hmm. worked out a, a deal with him. So we're going to have Columbus Chill shirts on the site. We just need to get uh, a final version of the contract. Oh, very him. nice. Yeah, we'll be when we all sit um, there. This is here's here's an aside on all of that. So I have a I, I, uh, things too for my international incidents film. So we're doing a showing up in up in Columbus on April 1st, and we're going to have some former players in for that one, too. Ooh. So uh, oh, I don't know if there's anything you'd... It's, it's, I, I, I don't might... know if you've ever been to the Ohio History Center. It's the state's I always want to go there. Museum there by the fairgrounds. I can never drag the, the it's family a... there. April 1st. Oh, you know what? My wife is going up it's there. It's cool, and their theater is really nice. And the... Ooh, I might tag along and with it. Okay. It's a, it's a dynamite facility, and the, the people there are really nice who... You know, I interact with, and so we're gonna have a few former well, players in. Maybe we should do the same um, thing, and with the old school, uh, we'll, we'll get a, a specific old school postcard, and we can promote the uh, the international is about the owls specifically, it, or all the teams. It's about the Columbus Checkers, Golden Seals, and Owls. Yeah, and we, so you having um, you have having a, a working those. knowledge of professional hockey. Yes, the the. The Golden Seals chapter was really interesting because it was owned by none other than Charles O. Finley. Yes. So yeah, yeah. And then that, we, made, that and made for some interesting times, to say the indeed. least. Indeed. And Cleveland. Not all good either. And Cleveland ends up with his Golden Seals. And um, oh, yeah. It's, yeah. It, it's a wormhole to go down, boys and girls. I, I, I'll tell you. But yeah, for oh my gosh, for sure. Have you ever oh. seen that Golden Seals documentary for about California? No, yeah, no, I one. haven't. I like I said, I read the book. The the Cleveland Barons book goes a lot into that because that's the team we got. We got the mm. Seals. So there's a lot of I know the story really well, and then how it circled back to the Bay Area getting the Sharks and the Gun Brothers being involved and the North Stars. It's just a yeah uh, big interconnected yeah. mess. But if you if you like that sort of thing, it it's is. highly recommended. It is. It's. It's wild, and what's crazy, and I don't want to, I don't want to bore you, but and I 
found it in my research in, in doing that one, and then it's in the, the movie, is, you know, here you have Charlie Finley creating this winning almost dynasty in Major League Baseball with the A's at the same time, and he's trying to run these hockey clubs, and the minor league club in Columbus was so bad, players were without sticks and stuff. And they were they won like 10, 10 games one year or something. It was like they set a record that has never been eclipsed or something. So it was truly remarkable in um, in inefficiency and incompetence. And he also owned the uh, Memphis basketball team in the ABA at the same time. So weird. Oh, he weird. did. Yeah, I yeah, didn't yeah. Know that. Yeah, yeah. That's why their colors are, are green and gold when they're the Tams because uh, oh, I think I don't think he owned them the whole time. I think he owned now. them the one year in the ABA, even though they were desperate for you know owners and it was nice having a guy that owned a major league baseball team involved in their league they couldn't wait to get yeah. rid of him. could not wait to get rid of him right <laughs> and as yeah. baseball fans uh-huh. in town would know you know from the a's playing the reds p- people well familiar with charlie o'finley would understand why that would be the case but um man well this has been great uh yeah like i'll try to make it down and like i said i'll see you next week to at least drop off the postcards and stuff and uh and we'll yeah. also work on something for the uh columbus thing as well that's very exciting yeah that'd be Pretty cool. So, well, great, man. Um, well, appreciate you taking the time. You have my phone number, I think. Yeah, yeah. This has been a real pleasure. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, love, love and, talking uh, defunct hockey. I wish you well. And well, great, man. I will uh, talk to you soon, and I will uh, email you those uh, uh, gift card codes and everything, and um, we'll go from there. Very well. Thanks right. so much for having me. Right. Thanks, Take man. care. All right, bye bye. Nine to five, only to stay alive. Gotta show everybody how I feel inside when I rock. Weltner. So that's a band called Crushed Out. They are apparently from Brooklyn. They are a husband and wife duo. No idea how it ended up in my iTunes, but there you have it. Makes a lovely playout song for this episode about the Cincinnati Mohawks. Their song Weekend Mohawk has that nice little, I guess, 90s, early aughts indie vibe to it, don't you think? In any case, uh, the book I was telling you guys about in the episode, the interview there with Eric, is called The NHL's Mistake by the Lake. It's about the Crusaders and Barons, and I mentioned it uh, for our Cincinnati fans because the Stingers are also mentioned in it as well. They kind of figure into the whole story about how the Seals end up in Cleveland, and it's just a rabbit hole to go down. And if you want to go down the rabbit hole even further, check out our friends over at Good Seeds Still Available. It's a podcast by our friend Tim up there in Chicago. He's a buddy of ours. And just Google Good Seeds Still Available, California Golden Seals, and you'll get that episode. He has a lot of other episodes about hockey and defunct hockey teams as well. And there's also a great book about the World Hockey Association called The Rebel League. So just look that up wherever you get your books. And uh, back to Eric, (laughs) anyway, uh, you can find his other documentary on Vimeo he was telling us. So what I'm going to do is if you go either to the Cincy Shirts blog post for this episode, in case you didn't arrive here via our blog page, you've got it through iTunes or, um, well, I'm an old man, you probably got it through Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whichever of the podcasting catching apps you used, uh, go to our Cincy Shirts blog. There'll be a post for this episode. I will have links to all this stuff in there so you can follow along. And, and like I said, if you want to go further down the rabbit hole, uh, recommended, and I'll, I have all the ways that you can do it. Now, if there's someone you'd like to hear on the show, simply email podcast at cincyshirts.com. Tell us who you would like to have on the show. My buddy Greg's wife, uh, he she gave us a big list of guests because she is a well-connected 
uh, I guess, actually she's a personal trainer and she knows a lot of folks in town, Jamie does. So uh, she gave me a big list. I'm gonna reach out to those folks. And like I said, hopefully we'll be having more episodes dropping more often here in 2023. Now, of course, be sure to tell friends and loved ones about the show, including folks who may no longer live in the area, but still feel connected to the tri-state. And if you haven't already, check out the Cincy Shirts podcast archive. Still a lot of great stuff back there you can listen to, 210 episodes worth, so you can do some catching up in the meantime when we put more episodes together. Today's show is produced by me with help from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing. They are from Philadelphia. I still need to get that guy on the show. He, They've never lived in Cincinnati. They visited here once, I believe, and uh, it's kind of a sad song. But I was trying to get this guy on the show, the guy that wrote it, and it was during the pandemic, and he wasn't really up to it. He was kind of depressed about not being able to tour and stuff, but uh, I'll reach out to him again. Maybe we can have him on the show and find out why he wrote a song about Cincinnati, he being from Philadelphia. And speaking of Philadelphia, you can find vintage tees from great places like Boston, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Louisville, Seattle, Philadelphia, Columbus. We talked about Columbus a lot in this episode. And more at OldSchoolShirts.com. Lots of uh, old defunct teams like hockey, baseball, soccer, you name it. Old shopping malls, restaurants, uh, rock and roll clubs. Those do really well on Old School. So it's like Cincy shirts, but for those towns, I like to tell people. And again, the promo code for this episode is Monopoly. Simple as that. Monopoly, as in Mohawk Monopoly. And you're going to use that to take 20% off your entire order at CincyShirts.com or OldSchoolShirts.com. Pro hack here. You can use it once at each site. How about that? So if you want to get a Mohawks t-shirt on Cincy Shirts and you want to get like a Cleveland Crusaders or a Columbus Seal shirt on Old School Shirts, knock yourself out. Follow our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat for the latest Cincy Shirts news. I'm not even sure we're using Snapchat anymore. This is an old notes thing I have up here. Uh, is Snapchat still on? I don't know. I, I believe we also have a TikTok now for both sites, Cincy Shirts and Old School Shirts. So just do some checking when you have a chance. Tell your friends about the show, of course. Give us a good review wherever you get the podcast from. And as always, download or stream us next time. Bye. I said goodbye. I wish I said goodbye.